0: Hi Suspects listeners, I told you guys I'm trying to get these episodes out quick so I'm literally recording this in the same day that I did that last word at once so not a lot of updates here because I got them all out of my last episode so we're just gonna go ahead and hop straight into today's case I hope you guys missed the cases I know I did I'm so happy to be back doing these so The one I have for you today is pretty wild. I don't know if you guys have heard of Nathaniel Barjona, but that's who we're going to be talking about it today, so hopping right into it. So David Paul Brown was born February 15th, 1957 in Orchester, Massachusetts. In late 1964, a then seven-year-old Brown lured a five-year-old neighbor into his basement, telling her that he had received an Ouija board for his birthday and that he could predict the future. Once in his basement, Brown attempted to strangle the girl, but her screams attracted the attention of his mother, who came to her rescue. In January 1970, at the age of 12, Brown managed to lure another neighbor, a six-year-old boy, to a nearby hill, claiming that he wanted to go sledding with him. Once they arrived, however, Brown sexually assaulted the boy. A few years later, Brown attempted to lure two boys riding their bicycles down the street to a nearby cemetery where he intended to murder them, but one of the boys grew suspicious and persuaded his friend not to go. Ooh, coming in hot at seven years old, Brown. Jesus freaking Christ. (sighs) Okay, so then in late March... In late March 1975, a then 18-year-old Brown impersonating a police officer abducted 8-year-old Richard Richard O'Connor while he was on his way to school, then proceeded to sexually assault and strangle him. A neighbor looking out of her window observed the abduction and notified authorities who began searching for the boy. A patrol car later observed a vehicle matching that used in the abduction parked far away from others in a parking lot, and after calling for backup, ordered Brown out of the car. O'Connor was found in the car bloodied and having defecated and urinated on himself from the sexual assault, and he was near the point of death. Oh, this poor baby, fucking eight years old. A few days before his high school graduation, Brown drove to nearby Hartford, Connecticut, and again, impersonating a police officer, abducted a nine-year-old girl. However, after the child began vomiting and having a seizure from the assault, he drove up to a sidewalk and threw the girl out of the car. fucking inhumane. A nearby witness saw the incident and got Brown's license plate leading to his arrest. This assault never got back to Brown's probation officer, and he was released from parole in May 1976 for his earlier abduction and sexual assault of O'Connor. When Brown's probation period was over, he received a letter thanking him for his cooperation. Oh, fucking sick. Mm. I know, this is the 70s, but still, I still feel like this is the kind of shit that our justice system does now with people that do shit like this. They're kind of like, oh... Here you go, a little slap on the wrist. Good job for cooperating. Fuck you guys. Literally, fuck you guys. An eight-year-old and a nine-year-old. Thanks for your cooperation. Fuck you. Fuck that. On September 24th, 1977, Brown, claiming to be an undercover FBI agent, convinced two boys coming out of the White City Cinemas in Shrewsbury, Massachusetts, to enter his vehicle. He then transported the boys to a secluded area where he handcuffed them and tortured them. After jumping repeatedly on the chest of one of the boys, the 375-pound Brown believed he had killed him and then drove off with the other one still alive in his trunk. However, the first boy regained consciousness and managed to find help. Leading shortly after to Brown's arrest, the other boy was found still alive in the trunk. For this crime, Brown was convicted of attempted murder and received the maximum of 18 to 20 years in prison. Brown was later transferred to the Bridgewater State Hospital. <sighs> On March 22, 1984, Brown changed his name to Nathaniel Benjamin Levi Bar Jonah. He gave several reasons for changing his name. He told friends and relatives that he wanted to know what it was like to be discriminated against and persecuted as a Jew. During a later interview with Dr. Michael Stone for the television show Most Evil, he claimed that he was Jewish and he wanted his name to reflect that. In fact, Brown's ethnic ancestry was Scandinavian and his parents were both active in the Assemblies on God, a Pentecostal movement, and he did not pursue any further connection to Judaism other than the name change. <laughs> so he's just like, okay, I want you guys to think of me as Jewish now. Here we go. I am now Jewish. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. It's always some kind of religious thing. Like, oh, get out of here with that, please. Later in the same year, Superior Court Judge Walter E. Steele ruled that Massachusetts had failed to prove that Bar-Jonah was dangerous and he was released before moving to Great Falls, Montana. During this time, Bar-Jonah confided in his psychiatrist that he fantasized about abducting, murdering, and cannibalizing children. On August 9, 1991, just a month after being released from Bridgewater Hospital, Bar Jonah observed a seven year old boy sitting alone in a car outside of a post office in Oxford, Massachusetts. Bar Jonah, who weighed 275 pounds at the time, entered the vehicle and sat on the boy's chest. Some witnesses, along with the boy's mother, observed the event and ran to the boy's rescue, causing Bar Jonah to flee. An officer recognized Bar-Jonah's description from over 15 years earlier, and he was arrested for the attack. At first, Bar-Jonah claimed that he had entered the car to get out of the rain, but later admitted that he intended to kill the boy. For the attack, Bar-Jonah was sentenced to probation in Montana. I'm sorry, but... This is now like a couple instances and he's just getting probation, slap on the wrist, probation, slap on the wrist, and going to the hospital. He's more than sick at this point. He has intent. He got in this car to get out of the rain. Oh my fucking God. What a, oh, that police officer probably wanted to fuck him up right there. Like, ugh, oh. that's so sick. Literally. Mmm. That's so fucking gross. On February 6 1996. Ten-year-old Zach Ramsey left his apartment at around 7.34 a.m. to attend school, taking his usual school route through an alleyway near the 400 block of 4th Street North. Ramsey was wearing a blue denim jacket with green sleeves, a blue football jersey with his last name imprinted on the back in gold letters, stonewashed jeans, and black high-top sneakers. A family of three who lived in the apartment in the alleyway reported seeing Ramsey there that morning and also reported seeing an off-white four-door car nearly run him over. Another witness reported seeing Ramsey standing in the alleyway and that he appeared to be waiting for someone. Yet another witness who lived near the end of the alleyway reported seeing Ramsey distressed with an obese male adult. Following him, a few, following him a few feet behind at about 7.45 a.m. A witness reported seeing Bar Jonah standing beside a dumpster in the alleyway at 7.15 a.m. while taking out the trash. He was wearing a navy blue police-like jacket. The same witness also reported seeing Ramsey enter the alleyway later and that Bar Jonah was still standing beside the dumpster. Somewhere between the alleyway that cuts into 6th Street and comes out at 7th, Ramsey disappeared and he was never found. Despite the objections of Ramsey's mother, a judge declared him legally dead in 2011. Mmm, that poor, poor mama. Police investigations conducted years after Ramsey went missing determined that Bar Jonah had access to his mother's off-white four-door 1978 Toyota Corolla the day that the boy disappeared and that his mother and brother were out of town for a funeral. It was moreover determined that Bar Jonah did not work on February 6th of 1996 nor on the days immediately preceding. While searching Bar Jonah's apartment, detectives found a list of boys' names called Lake Webster, which included previous victims and a Zachary Ramsey, followed by the words died. Some news reports also stated that the missing person, Andrew John Amato's name, was on the list as well. He was a four-year-old child who disappeared in the forest near Route 52 in Webster, Massachusetts, but these accounts were incorrect and nobody has been able to tie Bar Jonah to Andrew. Furthermore, dozens of newspaper clippings were found in Bar Jonah's apartment following the Ramsey case. A former roommate of Bar Jonah described finding clothes in the apartment which appeared to match those Ramsey was wearing the day he disappeared, in addition to bloody gloves. Another roommate and others claimed that Bar Jonah sometimes spontaneously brought the boy up in conversations, Investigators also found notebooks with seemingly arbitrary characters, which were believed to be coded writing. With the help of the FBI and after months of effort, the writing was decoded. In the notebooks, Bar Jonah described torturing and eating children. There were also recipes involving children body parts. Oh, imagine finding this. Like... Okay, one, imagine finding this, this in any scenario is fucking awful, but imagine finding this for a fucking dude, you guys have already locked up multiple fucking times, but the system still is, but was so bad that you just kept fucking letting him go, you were like, okay, probation, he's good, okay, psychiatrists helped him, no, I'm sorry, but if somebody is willing to hurt a child, there is no way to rehabilitate that. And I do not give a fuck who you are, what you've done. If you're willing to hurt a child, there's no way to rehabilitate back. Like, there's no coming back from that. I'm sorry. I literally just don't care. I don't care what any of you listening think. I don't care what anyone thinks. Like, that. that's fucking awful. So this person that you guys literally had in your possession multiple times, you literally fucking fumbled the bag every time. It's just an awful, it's an awful realization is what it is. When detectives sprayed Bar Jonah's garage with a chemical while investigating his involvement in the Ramsey disappearance, the word Tita appeared, which led authorities to believe that Bar Jonah may have been responsible for the abduction for the abduction of James Tita, a Massachusetts boy who was kidnapped on August 23, 1973. Tita's body was discovered on August 25, 1973, in Ringe, New Hampshire, off of Route 119. An autopsy revealed that he had been raped and strangled. Barjona was arrested again in 1999, initially for impersonating a police officer, after searching his home and finding, among other things, many pictures of young children cut out of magazines and a bone that was identified as belonging to an unknown young male, Montana police charged Barjona with kidnapping and sexual assault as well as the kidnapping and sexual assault of three other boys and the murder of Zach Ramsey. Prosecutors announced that they would be seeking the death penalty. Bar-Jonah was prosecuted for the abduction and molestation of three boys and convicted of kidnapping, aggravated assault, and sexual assault, including charges that he had tortured one of the boys and hung him from the ceiling. Zachary Ramsey's mother was swayed by Bar-Jonah's defense team to testify for them that she believed her son was still alive, which led jurors not to convict Bar-Jonah for his murder. Although they were not at all convinced that he was not an extreme child predator and dangerous sexual deviant. Which is just awful, right? Because you see this happen a lot in court. Well, they'll, like, manipulate people to witness for them, essentially. Like, this mother is grieving. She's clearly not in the right mind to be testifying in court fucking at all, for that matter. But they use the fact that she was trying to convince herself out of grief that her son was still alive to testify him again to testify basically for that. So he didn't get convicted for the murder, which is just like, I mean, it's shitty. That's shitty. Like morality wise, like that's shitty. Like that just fucking sucks. So, during Bar-Jonah's trial, 36-year-old Mary Patrone recognized him as the man who had abducted and assaulted her by dressing as a police officer in 1974. However, the fucking statue of limitations had expired and Bar-Jonah could not be charged with the crime. Investigators also suspected Bar-Jonah in the disappearance of 7-year-old Janice Pocket 10 months earlier. Bar-Jonah was sentenced to 130 years in prison. He maintained his innocence up until death. I don't know why my voice sounded like that. I wasn't trying to say, up until death. I didn't do that on purpose. It just got really low. (laughs) Montana authorities were unaware of Bar-Jonah's criminal record in Massachusetts, a fact that was cited by activists campaigning to force former sex offenders to register. In December 2004, the Montana Supreme Court turned down Bar-Jonah's appeals and upheld the conviction and a 130-year prison sentence. They were like, nah, not today. Jonah. Bar-Jonah was found unresponsive in his prison cell on the morning of April 13, 2008. He had been in poor health. His post-mortem found significant levels of LDL in his arteries, and myocardial infarction was the determined cause of death. Which is a heart attack. <laughs> I don't know why I was worded like that. Barjona's earliest interest in the human flesh can be traced back to his childhood. Beginning at about the age of six, he would pick at his scabs until they bled, then proceeded to suck on the blood from his wound. His teachers at Webster Elementary School would call his mother numerous times to notify her that her son's habit was upsetting to the students and teachers. When he was incarcerated in Montana State Prison, many of the guards observed him perform the same habit. One guard reported that once Barjona had the scab in his mouth and appeared to be having sex. Ugh. While incarcerated at Bridgewater State Hospital, Bar-Jonah confided in his psychiatrist about his murderous and cannibalistic ideations. One of his therapists noted, Brown's sexual fantasies, bizarre in nature, outline methods of torture, extend to dissection and cannibalism, and again express a curiosity about the human taste of flesh, about the taste of human flesh. Although Barjona was known to be a voracious eater who weighed in, in excess of 300 pounds, financial records indicated that he had not made any significant grocery store purchases for nearly a month after Ramsey disappeared. However, he could have also paid for groceries using cash or could have been well-stocked on food and meat. After Ramsey's disappearance, Barjona also began to hold cookouts in which he was reported to serve burgers, spaghetti, chili, meat pies, casseroles, and the like to the guest. On many of these cookouts, a number of people told Barjona that the meat had a peculiar taste to it. Barjona's response was that he had gone deer hunting and he used deer meat in the dishes. However, Barjona did not own a rifle or a hunting license, nor had he been deer hunting at any time, To one woman who told Barjona that she found the taste of his meat to be repulsive, he replied that he had personally hunted, killed, butchered, and wrapped the meat of the deer. He would later be accused of molesting that same woman's son. In Barjona's apartment, detectives also found a number of recipes using children's body parts with the contemptuous titles such as Little Boy Pot Pie, French Fried Kid, in phrases such as, Lunch is served on the patio with roasted child. Oh, please pause, guys, for the sirens. Please pause. In the Dakota journals, Barjona also referenced serving these recipes to neighbors. Also, hair was found inside a meat grinder in his apartment. When the hair was tested for DNA, it was found to belong to an African-American male, but it did not belong to Ramsey. The DNA of the hair was also different from the child bone fragments found in Bar Jonah's garage, which also did not belong to Ramsey. So other possible victims on the morning of October 13, 1997, 14-year-old Amanda Gallian left her home on her bicycle en route to school at approximately 7.15 a.m., disappearing along the way. Gallion was often mistaken for a boy in her Gillette, Wyoming neighborhood Barjona arrived in Galette on the night of October 12, 1997, where he stayed at a small motel on the outskirts of town and was back in his Montana residence by the following night. Gallien's bicycle was subsequently discovered along the side of the road off I-90. Galleon's social security number has not been used since her disappearance. Barjona is also believed to have committed murders in Montana because of the findings made in his residence. He was also investigated for possible crimes in Alberta and Skashkawan. I probably did not say that right. Saskatchewan, Canada, where he lived at times during the 1990s, but the police found no links between him and any unsolved crimes. And that... Suspects, listeners, friends, it's the story of Nathaniel Bar Jonah, a fucking crazy cannibalistic serial killer that was attacking children. Like, oh, that's so awful. I really think that like, and don't get me wrong. You guys have heard me say it on the podcast before. Like, I don't like the death penalty. I don't like any of that. Like, I'm not for that. Like, I definitely think there is a way for people to be rehabilitated Um, or, you know, if they just get the assistance that they need some way mentally, like those are conversations that could be had depending on the scenario. But when you do things to kids, like, I just think there's absolutely no way, like you don't come back from that. Like there's nothing to come back from like, oh, that's terrible. Those poor children, those poor families, Mm. 130 years in prison, sentenced, and then had a heart attack. Mm. He was 51. 51 when he died <sighs> that's crazy it says occupation short order cook <laughs> fuck fuck Ugh. sick that's sickening but yeah if you guys want to look up some more information again his name is Nathaniel bar Jonah originally born as David Paul Brown I'll post my links and references that I use so you guys can check them out of course in the show notes you know how that works but Yeah that's fucking insane. That is insane. I hope you guys liked this episode. Like I said I recorded this the same day as the reddit one. Oh my gosh I forgot to tell you guys. I ordered a bunch of new fall clothes and I'm so excited about it. I'm so excited. I have like some new sweaters coming. I have like this cute little sweater dress that I feel like I could pull off really well. Um, just some different vibes coming for winter you guys know how it is in Colorado we got eight months of winter and I feel like just since I've been here I haven't really like spent I've bought like a sweater or a jacket here and there but like most of the stuff I just order is like all sweaters and like winter stuff so I'll have to show you guys some of the fits over on Instagram <laughs> I forgot to tell you guys that in the last episode but I was so excited about it last night when I did it and then I've completely forgot to mention it but yeah I got like I want to say like 10 sweaters some shoes some pants maybe a jacket or two but mostly like some sweaters and plus like I told you guys I've been going into office to like help train and I feel like I mean I don't know I wear crop tops and holy jeans all the time you know what I mean I can't wear that into a corporate office so I need like some jeans that don't have holes in them imagine that I'm growing up and then like I mean, it's pretty casual, but I need, obviously, pants that don't have holes in them, and then I need, like, some nice, like, not crop top shirts that I'm not going to be freezing in. Oh, my gosh. I was so cold last week going into office. I had, like, leggings and, like, a long sleeve t-shirt on and then, like, whatever jacket I threw on in the morning. I was like, okay. After going into office last week, I was like, okay, I think I just need to bite the bullet here and fucking order some winter clothes, because if not, it's about to be a long winter. It's October we're just getting started we have until what Colorado snow I think it snowed in May this year maybe not maybe that was last year but one of these years I was here it snowed in May but we'll see but I'll definitely show you guys the fits when I get them in I'm hoping they come in this week I did the express thing what well, was like free to do that because I like ordered a bunch of shit so they were like free express shipping and I was like fucking perfect hopefully they'll be here this week but yeah anyways thanks for listening i hope you guys enjoyed that story this was kind of just a quick and to the point episode since i did the Reddit episode already today but again love you guys hope that you are having a nice day wherever you are in the world listening and sending everybody good energy all right until next time check you guys on the reddit episode send me oh wait i almost forgot Send me any crazy stories you have, any crazy threads you've seen, any crazy Reddit threads, anything fucking wild that you think I should read on here. Send over to the podcast Instagram at Suspect Podcast. Or you can follow me on my personal Instagram, which is at Katie, K-A-T-I-E underscore Kennedy, K-E-N-N-E-D-D-Y. I'd love to chat, so reach out to me on there and... Until next time, I love you guys. Make sure you wear your coat so you don't get a sinus infection. Bye.